I'm Angela Kenneke, a veteran journalist with 30 years in television news and an investigative reporter. But for the purpose of this podcast, I'm just a mom trying to find my way after the loss of a child in the opioid epidemic. I am grieving out loud, using my platform on TV and on social media to try to stop the stigma of addiction and get more people into treatment so that no other family has to go through the devastation that I and my family have experienced at the loss of our 21-year-old, Emily. Those of us who have had a loved one struggling from substance use disorder know how stressful, frustrating, and devastating it can be. We often feel helpless. We don't know what to do. We get so many different answers or different kinds of advice from so many different people as we face the addiction of our loved one and want to help them and want to keep them alive. And I think nobody is more impacted by substance use disorder than the children of someone who's suffering from it. I'm joined today by Alexa Giebink, who is an author of Phoenix Rising from Addiction. She wrote this book at a very young age, uh, dealing with her mother's addiction. Marianne Giebink was uh, also a guest on this podcast. She is now an interventionist after suffering through years of addiction, going to prison, losing her career, and now she helps other people get help. And Alexa, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. What prompted you to want to write a book about what you'd been through with your mom? For us, uh, it was both an opportunity to kind of set the record straight and tell the story um, behind the headline, but also to hopefully help other people by telling our story, uh, by giving them hope that we somehow managed to get through that difficult time as a family, and they might as well. When you say headline, it's because your mother's arrest really did make local news because she was such a well-known attorney. She'd ran for public office, and then she ended up getting arrested and having to serve time in prison, talking about a fall from grace. Yeah. Just, uh, when she you know, hit rock bottom, it was front page of the newspaper. Uh, and for us, for my family, my dad, my brother, and I, it was kind of a blessing because it forced her to be... Um, open about everything. She was very good about hiding it from everybody except my, you know, my dad and I. And so uh, her ending up in prison was almost a relief to us uh, because it was a, for one, we knew she was safe, you know, relatively safe. We didn't have to worry about where she was and what she was doing. Um, But it was also an opportunity for her to get treatment and really understand uh, her addiction. And the day that she reported to prison was the last day she ever drank. Wow. So how old were you when those headlines were out there? Uh, She was battling addiction all through my childhood. It started getting bad when I was in high school. Uh, But she ended up going to prison my junior year of high school. Junior year in high school. Now, I have kids that age. So I know, you know, it can be a hard time anyway. And then if you have a parent who's not healthy and who's also in the public eye, Were you embarrassed? Were you ashamed? How did you feel? Take us back to your 16-year-old self at the time. Yeah, I actually never really felt shame or embarrassment. I understood that, you know, she was not well and we were doing the best that we could to help her. Um, It was difficult when uh, it hit the news and people were saying some really mean things that didn't fully understand the situation. Um, But I never took on my mom's guilt. I think that judgment and that shame for family members is a part of this, too. 
I know I've worked, my children children have worked through some of that, having had a sibling, you know, die of an overdose. It's just something that society doesn't really accept it as an illness or as a true disease of the brain. So people are very judgmental. Right. Yeah. So I was always open to talk about it uh, even then. And uh, it was frustrating. It was a very difficult time just because we didn't know how to help her and we wanted to help her. And at the same time, I was in high school worrying about college and boys and my homework and all of that. But we managed to see our way through it. Yes, you did. And you've come out on the other side now. But I think in the middle of it, it must have just seemed... At what point, how old were you when you realized that your mother, something wasn't quite right? I always kind of knew. I mean, I, as long as I can remember finding her stash a pot or, you know, sipping like, her... You're talking about like you're eight, nine years old, 10 years old. I mean... Yeah. I mean, I can't even put a, a t- oh. date on it. Um, you know, I remember taking sips from her water bottle and it wasn't water. Um, it... It wasn't really a problem until closer to high school, though. Um, or that you realized it was a problem. Right, maybe. where she yeah. started, you know, shirking responsibilities. I mean, for she doesn't like the term a functional alcoholic, but, you know, she for many years was where she'd be able to drink and get up and go to work. And she she fulfilled her responsibilities as a, as a mom and a, as, an, as a lawyer. But uh, the last couple of years before she ended up in prison is when um, things really started to crash down and we were all struggling to get her help and it didn't end up coming until she was in prison. Were you ever angry with her? Uh, there were definitely times where emotions ran high and, and I was mad at her behavior. Addicts can, can say a lot of really mean things that they don't mean. Uh, I like the analogy that addiction is like an hourglass. We all, all addicts get into it in different ways, whether it's um, starts with social drinking and using, if it's because of pain medication or or whatever. And then in the middle, the addicts all look the same. It's this desire that is fueling them. Uh, and then addicts get out of it in different ways. The bottom of the hourglass, whether it is 30 day inpatient, whether it's you know outpatient group, whether it's one on one therapy, whether it's going to prison like my mom. But in the middle, all those addicts like you uh, were talking about, it's their brain lacks the ability to make rational choices. And so that can then lead to really hurtful behavior towards your loved ones. So there were plenty of times where it was devastating. You know, my mom would raid my piggy bank, literally steal every penny I had. So it's kind of hard to reconcile with the mom that you love and you still love with this person that is acting selfishly. Uh, And you can just hope that you can help them find the person that they used to be. And it's so hurtful because you end up becoming probably more of a parent and it's not supposed to be that way. Right. I think I matured really fast because of it. And definitely the relationship between my brother and I um, was very much so uh, parent to child and less so sibling. And so now my brother is 23 and I'm 26 and we're trying to build that relationship and what it means to be siblings and you um, acted more like his mom. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I ended up, you know, when it came to school and applying for colleges and all of that, uh, getting a job, uh, I took on those responsibilities early on. So you were the oldest child and also you follow into that stereotype of very, being very responsible. You know, the parent, also the child of a somebody who is suffering from substance use disorder tends to overcompensate in that area sometimes as well. Right. I think uh, children of addicts, uh, it's also common for them to become addicts themselves. 
Do you worry uh, about that with yourself? Uh, not so much my not so much with myself. Uh, it makes me very aware of when I drink alcohol and why. Um, I think I was old enough to see what it was doing to my mom and to stay away from you know drugs and and whatnot. I think for my brother, he was a little too young to understand it, and so he kind of fell fell prey to that, and uh, he ended up going to treatment when he a couple years ago. So uh, that's what's difficult too is is that the cycle then with uh, children of addicts, right? And it certainly runs in families. Addiction, I think, I believe there's a gene. I mean, it's been pinpointed by some researchers different genes that contribute to addiction. And so for sure, you could maybe not have that gene where your brother may have it, but you have dealt with it then with your sibling and with your mom. It's got to be frustrating sometimes. Um, it, can be, it can be frustrating, definitely. But more than anything, you just want them to be happy and healthy. Thankfully, you know, when it came around to my brother, you know, we were, one, we knew what to do. We knew where because to get... Because of your mom. Right. We knew to, uh, where to get help, you know, what treatment centers, how that all worked, um, but we also were all very open about talking about it. And my brother is too. You know, he doesn't hold that shame or don't, guilt. Don't you think that's so important in changing the conversation about this disease of the brain is to talk about it in ways that aren't shameful, that don't peg people into junkies or alcoholics or what? I mean, I think we, we, we want to categorize people and not see the whole person. It's just it's frustrating to me on the shame and stigma that's still out there. I, yeah, I agree. It's it could happen to anybody. It's, it has been encouraging, you know, over the last four or five years since I wrote the book, how much more it's in the conversation. You have uh, noticed that then? Yes, I've definitely noticed that. Uh, so more and more each day people are talking about it. Uh, you know, that coincides with the opioid crisis. Um, but the more we talk about it, the less stigma there is and the more help we can get these people. Just like anything else, right? Yes. I mean, other things that have been stigmatized in the past that we understand a lot better now, like mental illness. And do you think that mental illness plays a role in addiction? I'm not the best person to comment on that, but I, I think it well, your mother can also go. suffered from depression. Right. Yeah. Too. I think it can go hand in hand. And I know if there was a period there where she um, was suffering depression and, you know, was on medication for that. And my dad was trying to tell the doctors that she was drinking on her medication and was getting nowhere with the doctors. And so he was, you know, pulling his hair out. Um, so between trying to get help for, you know, substance abuse, you know, trying to get help with depression or whatever other mental illnesses, it all kind of goes together. And then you throw in, oftentimes there's a, a legal issue as well. So, um, you know, the drug courts um, and and professionals that are trained to help people with mental illnesses, it all is part of, you know, the same problem. Well, and also I want to congratulate you on writing a book at the age of 21. That's when you started writing this book. That is amazing. There's not too many 21-year-olds that will undertake such a big endeavor because it is a lot of work. What did you learn about yourself and maybe also your relationship with your mother in the process? Yeah, I well, I wrote the book right before I went back to college for my senior year, and uh, I'm so glad. How long did it take you to write that book? Uh, about a month. Wow. I yep. I I just kind of sat down and lived at a coffee shop for a month and wrote it, uh, and I'm glad I did it then because you know when I read over it now, it's a very honest story. It was still so fresh. Yes, and it and it I was just I was very honest with myself then. What I learned then, it, I wrote the book about five years after she got out of prison. So she'd been sober for five years. 
And in the process of writing it and having those conversations with my mom again and my dad again and my grandma about everything that happened, you learn so much more and you see how far you've, you've grown because it's not like she got treatment in prison and she came out and everything was okay. You know, it's always a work in progress. Uh, and even now, reflecting back on when I wrote the book, how much more I've learned and how much more we've grown uh, as a family and as individuals. Uh, so that's that's one of the biggest things is that it's something you constantly have to work on, uh, not just my mom maintaining her sobriety, but us maintaining our relationships as a healthy family. And I think so many people want there to be just a, a fix, a cure. Like you go into treatment, you come out, and everything's fine. But that's really never the case. No. Nope. It's a lifelong uh, battle for the whole family, just like uh, any... Chronic um, illness, right? Right, any exactly. chronic illness would be. Yeah, yep. Uh, and just like, you know, it's always takes work to keep up healthy relationships. You know, that's what is needed for a family that is has a loved one that's suffering from addiction. What would you say to other people out there who may have a parent who is struggling with addiction? How much can you really do as a child as a loved one even an adult child right it can be difficult finding that line between helping and enabling so what's important and what i think what helped me get through it was finding things that were uh, for me you know i loved school and so school was a safe place for me and i had other people in my life um, that i could rely on whether it was my grandma or my teacher Uh, and so just having those things for yourself and making sure that you're not neglecting yourself in favor of, you know, helping or enabling your loved one. I recall after my mom got arrested, there was a couple months before she went to prison and she was on um, a program called 24-7, uh, which means she'd have to go to the jail and blow into a breathalyzer once in the morning, once in the evening to see if she'd been drinking. Well, you can sneak a, a, a drink or two between the um, morning and the and the night, but an addict can't stop at one or two. So it was time for her to go in. You know, you have a window like five to seven to go in and she was drunk. And so my boyfriend and I said, OK, mom, we, you know, it's time to go. And we gave her a ride and she, you know, was stalling and wanted to go at the last minute. And, you know, she ended up blowing positive and and they just, uh, you know, take you for the night as a punishment. And, you know, we were there, you know, we I grabbed her jewelry from her, you know, grabbed her uh, belongings and I could have been mad at her I could have yelled at her how embarrassing obviously it wasn't ideal that she you know had again screwed up <laughs> but I knew that that wasn't going to help anything in the long term so instead of getting upset uh, or just you know blowing her off you know I hel- helped hold her accountable but at the same time didn't you didn't enable anything. Right, yeah. So it's it's tricky to know, you know, what's helping and what's enabling. It is. But, it's so hard. But I think, it, yeah. I think anger, um, it's easy to get angry because someone suffering from substance use disorder lies a lot, makes up a lot of excuses, denies the, you know, when the truth is so blatant and will continue to deny no matter how much it is, you know, in their face or in your face. And and that can trigger some anger in people. So it's hard to step back and say, oh, this, this isn't about, this is about the, their disease. You know, and I just find it so incredible that you were 15, 16, 17 years old and dealing with this and, and able to have that wisdom already at such a young age. Yeah. Where did that come from? I, I don't know. Um, we were all just figuring it out as we went. 
Um, but I really think having other things in my life helped keep my sanity, you know. So you could focus on your school. You could right. focus on these other things that were important to you. And friends and, you know, other role models like my grandma was a huge, played a huge role in my life. So, and my dad was there and doing his best. And I'm sure trying to hold your family together is very hard. A lot of families don't stay together after these kinds of incidents. Right. I think the biggest thing that I've learned from writing the book and then, the feedback I've gotten after it, um, a lot of people like to call it a love story. And the third section of the book that is made up of excerpts of my mom's journal from prison and then letters uh, to my dad um, and my dad to my mom really shows the struggle that they went through as a couple. You know, they go from being tired and exhausted and my dad has put up with a lot, you know, and he has his own, you know, mental illness issues, anger issues, they get to a point of wanting to, you know, call it quits, and then they find the strength to, you know, eventually they said we should make this work for the children, and you can see them rebuilding their relationship as as a couple, um, but also as the base of our family. And so I think that's one of the most powerful things. Powerful things for me is to see how my parents over the years have have grown, dealt with the, these issues together. Rather than giving up on one another. Right. I mean, there was times growing up where they'd be fighting and I'd just be like, why don't you just get a divorce already? You know, it, it, they are very, they're very different people personality wise, but it's, it's been incredible to see how they work, how they, how they work to make that relationship work. And, and yeah. I just think it's fantastic. It's, you know, you've heard it called a love letter to your mother, to your parents, to your family. I feel that way, too, when I speak about Emily and tell her story. Like, this is my love letter to my daughter uh, by telling her story to other people. I think it is so important that we, if we are able to tell those stories, to tell them so that other people know they're not alone and that their struggles are really not unique. They're human. The struggle of addiction is a human, it's a human condition, right? Right, exactly. One thing that I noticed when I would... Uh, give book readings or um, uh, just book talks to different groups. Every time someone would come up to me afterwards and say, thank you for sharing your story. You know, my uncle suffers or my dad or my brother or I suffer. Everyone knows somebody or it's them, it's themselves, you know, and they, they always whisper it to me. But if, you know, if everyone could hear that, they'd realize that we're all dealing with the same thing. You know, every family has that that struggle, and it's not as uncommon as we might think it is. It's not uncommon at all. Not uncommon at all. And I think that's true. You're right. People say the same thing to me. Uh, they'll whisper it, usually, or talk in a soft voice because they don't want everybody to know. They just want to tell me, or they just want to tell you, but this is what we're trying to change. This is what you're trying to change by writing about it, what I'm trying to change by writing and speaking about it. We're trying to make it part of the conversation so you don't, it doesn't have to be a whisper anymore. Right. And I, I know my mom got some heat after the book came out about not remaining anonymous. Oh, because of Alcoholics Anonymous? Right. Mm -hmm. One, I mean, she wasn't anonymous to begin with because of... She was the, never anonymous. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for some people, staying anonymous helps them get to a healthy place, then... Then they should stay anonymous. Yeah, then that's just like... It should definitely be an option. Exactly. That's the bottom of the hourglass. That's... Different things work for different people. But that also came about in a time, you know, in the U.S. in the 1950s or 60s when it was so shameful. So maybe if we take the shame out of it, the need to remain anonymous goes away. Not that people can't be, but, well, you wrote this book at a young age. You were a journalist, uh, a newspaper reporter. Now you work in public relations. 
and you wrote your first book at age 21, which still blows me away. What's next for you? Are you going to continue to write on this subject? Are you coming out with another book? Are you going to look at different things? Or what are you doing? Right now, I'm just kind of figuring out where I belong in the world and, and you know pursuing projects that I find interesting and challenging. I actually have the opportunity. I'm working, working on a movie adaption of my book. Wow. It's a fictionalized version of our story. And the movie actually will center around uh, my journey writing the book and then use that as a place to jump back in time, both to my childhood, to my mom's childhood, and really show you know, our story over time. Yeah, well, that's amazing. I can't wait to see if that project comes to fruition. That, it would be a fantastic movie. There are so many twists and turns in your mother's life. And then you're, how it's affected you and the rest of your family. It's just, and you've all, you're all here and you're all still together. So I also think it lends a lot of hope to people. Can you leave us with a thought about that, a thought about hope for the family members or even the person suffering from addiction themselves? One of my favorite phrases is forgiveness is the ultimate form of love. And really not just forgiving afterwards, but trying to forgive, you know, when you're in the heat of it. That's how you really show compassion. I love that. That is fantastic. And if you'd like to listen to the podcast with Mary Ann Giebink, who is Alexa's mom, that is episode 12 of these podcasts. She has a lot of interesting insight, too. And thank you so much, Alexa, for being here with us today. Thanks again for having me. I believe we can all learn from each other as we walk through life. And by sharing our suffering, we can lessen the suffering of others. Until next time, wishing you faith, hope, and courage. To read my blogs and join us in our mission, just go to Emily's Hope at paintingapathtorecovery.org. Also, please rate and review this podcast. Thank you.